Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm Lori Barkman. As an exit value planning and M&A advisor, I call myself the business transition Sherpa. This podcast guides entrepreneurs from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. What do I do when I'm not hosting a podcast? I work with owners to maximize business value with my firm, small.big. And as a certified mergers and acquisitions advisor with Stony Hill, I guide you through the complex process of selling your company. Tune into Succession Stories for weekly insights to reward your hard work and avoid succession regrets. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for our newsletter at successionstories.com. Here's to your success. What's it like to sell your same business twice? As CEO of a pharmacy software company, Tim Tanner led the business through two successful transactions. Key to their success was having a differentiated niche and a strong market position. This enabled them to construct a sale process where they could select a partner that was the best fit. One of my favorite parts of the interview is when Tim talked about being open and honest with yourself. You really need to evaluate your team and your business to find the resources that you need to take the company to the next level. Ultimately, Tim's company selected a partner that had the size, scale, and infrastructure to achieve their goals. Today, Tim works with companies to develop success strategies as an EOS implementer. I wanna underscore that this episode focuses on a key decision step for owners, determining who should own your business after you. The topic is so critical that I've dedicated a whole chapter to it in my new book, The Business Transition Handbook. There's a link to Amazon in the show notes if you want to get a copy. Enjoy this Succession Stories episode about evaluating your business to find the right buyers with Tim Tannert. Is this the year to sell your company? Don't leave your exit to chance. Stony Hill Advisors works with entrepreneurs like you to get ready for what may be the biggest transaction of your life. Learn what your business is worth by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. Hi, Tim. Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm so glad you're with me today. It's been a while since we had spoken with each other. I think we first met during COVID, to put it back about a couple of years with Vistage. Is that right? That's correct. You spoke at one of our Vistage meetings. Kevin Chout is our chair and uh, thoroughly enjoyed your presentation on Exit Planet. Thanks so much. And it's great to be with you today. I love speaking with entrepreneurs who have a inflection point in their career where things either go well or don't go well with exits. In your case, it, things went well, which is great. And we'll talk about that. And then also what you're doing today to help entrepreneurs be successful in their journey. So why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell me your story? So I have an interesting background. I actually started my career as a pharmacist, which is a little different. And I tell people that as passionate as I was about helping make patients healthy, I quickly discovered in my career that my true passion, my true calling was to try to figure out how to make teams and companies healthy. Because quite frankly, a lot of the companies I worked for weren't. And so that sent me on a 20 plus year career of executive leadership, COO, CEO, ultimately running some long-term care pharmacies. And then about a decade ago, I had the opportunity to move to Pittsburgh to be the chief operating officer on a small 20 plus person pharmacy software company. 
And over the next decade, we took that company from 20 to over 150 people, from one of many in the space to the clear undisputed leader. And ultimately, we sold that company twice along the way. You sold it twice. We did. So I had joined right after our first round of private equity funding, and it was my job to help grow the, and scale the company. I joined as COO. And about three or so years later, we sold it to another private equity firm, and they held us for about 18 months, and we sold it again to a Fortune 500 company. That company then became a standalone division within the Fortune 500 company, which I led as president and CEO for about four years. Wow, that's incredible. We we do talk about the second bite at the apple. You have lived that. So it is not a unicorn mythical being. You, it does happen. And, and, you, and you went through that. Just to ask you a few questions. So you joined the company as, when it was a startup, as you said, it got funding. The initial funding, was it venture backed or was private equity backed? It was, it was private equity backed. We were a small team, but we had a solid uh, revenue, solid EBITDA, and we're growing. And so it was really more about building the systems, the processes, the tools to be able to scale the organization, right? To be able to support and add clients, to be able to build out the sales and marketing function within the organization, and just kind of repeat the model that we had already proven. And so was this a technology that was going to scale or was it the service with the people that was going to scale all the above? We sold software that was operating software for pharmacies that service specifically nursing homes. So everything that the pharmacy did, whether it's billing, clinical uh, distribution, connecting with electronic health records, connecting with robotics, that was all done through our software. You could think of us as kind of the central nervous system of the pharmacy operation. And so for us, it was really this scale the good marketing, scale uh, the support, scale the onboarding. This was a, a major enterprise installation that every person within these companies touched our software. So we had to build the right implementation, consulting to be able to help our clients be successful with the tools that we were offering. One of the things you said was you went from one of many to the undisputed leader. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it was an interesting journey. We had some consolidation in the space, but we were able to really take off from a market share perspective. Ultimately, we were able to capture the majority of the long-term care independent market. We did that by capturing the upper end of that market. And our clients were the ones that were the consolidators. And so as they consolidated, as they added additional pharmacies, it benefited us. So it was a real symbiotic relationship where we were facilitating their growth, their ability to scale, and then they were going out and, and doing just that. How did you find that market niche? So they had found the, the market niche before I joined the organization. And it was kind of serendipitous, to be quite honest. Softwriters in the very beginning was a software company that worked with ADP payroll solutions. And they were helping companies that had a challenging way to pay their employees 
whether it was by piece or swing shifts or those types of things that ADP couldn't handle. And they were creating tools for them to get to the gross wages and then passing it off to ADP to go from gross to net. And so they had moved into a, a new office building and it just happened that one of their neighbors was a dying long-term care pharmacy software system. They were down to just one or two clients. They were looking for an exit. And so they ended up acquiring this company, completely rewriting the, the software, entering the market, and they had a hit. They were able to bring new technology, new tools, new ways of doing things to an industry that had not seen that type of innovation before. So this is a software platform at the time. Would you call it a SaaS? What year were we talking about here? Is this in the in the 90s, in the, in the 2010s? Yeah, it was early 2000s. So, 2000s. Right. So we were an on-prem solution. We were not SaaS, but we did have some recurring revenue as part of our model. And so we were able to capitalize on having that reoccurring revenue. Is that one of the things that helped gain interest from the private equity community? Absolutely. Was was it unique in that way? Yeah, we, we had reoccurring revenue. We also had an unbelievably sticky client base. We almost never lost a client because, as I said, we became integrated in everything that they did. And we were the market leader. And so... Based off of that, we were able just to continue to keep that snowball growing and had maintained 20 plus percent year over year CAGR and revenue growth, EBITDA growth, et cetera, as we continue to scale. And as you know, just a lot of numbers, it gets more and more difficult to do that over a decade or two. So churn was very low. I would imagine given the go-to-market strategy, the cost to acquire these customers was also fairly low or reasonable given the size of the purchase. Was it a multi-year contract or single-year contracts? It was actually a single-year contract. Beyond that, we went month to month, but it was just one of those evergreen type contracts, but it worked for us, right? Because we were so sticky, because we were able to build out that client satisfaction model where we were integral in their operations. And so, you know, we were able to to maintain that client base. So you had a market niche, you had a product market fit, you found a solution given some of the dynamics, as you talked about with with ADP and and fixing a real problem for the clients. And then it was a a really valuable product. It was very sticky, churn was low, and it created a lot of value. What was the dynamic when the company was looking for its first exit? Was it the process to go back to the original private equity funding group and they ultimately acquired, or did you you create a bid process? So we created a bid process. And initially we had north of 20, probably close to 30 initial companies that received the initial SIM. And then from there, we whittled it down, had conversations, did management presentations. It was probably a good six to nine months of my life where I was having dinner every single night at a different steakhouse in Pittsburgh with a different private equity company, just getting to know these people, trying to identify what the right partner would be for us. And ultimately, 
we landed in a great place. And so I'm fortunate that I was able to build great relationships with both private equity firms that held our company. And I'm still close to them today, all these years later. As a matter of fact, I'm on the board of directors in one of the port coasts for one of the private equity companies. So it's really important to find that right fit for you and your organization from a right strategy, right business approach, uh, right culture. There's a lot of different things that, that go into making this successful beyond just the selling price. And so I encourage people to really get to know these companies because they're not all the same. Who is your most important customer? The person who buys your business. Stony Hill Advisors works with owners to maximize the value when you're ready to sell. Get started today with a business valuation by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. Of the 20 to 30 that you sent the SIM to, which is a confidential information memorandum that includes a lot of information about the company, it's, it's once an NDA sign that is sent out. Did that SIM go to strategics or just financial buyers? We had a couple strategics in the mix. Ultimately, it was our desire not to go that direction because we knew that we could still grow and scale. We knew we had quite a bit of runway and the leadership team wanted to continue to stay involved. We had built this thing, we, we loved it, it was our baby. And so that's what led us on the first time to go to another private equity. Ultimately, a strategic came to us and they offered us a deal we couldn't refuse. And so we ended up selling to a strategic the second time around. And that's when we started seeing some change in our leadership team. And so there, there was definitely changes in the organization after that happened. Let's go back to your comment about fit, because this has come up every now and again, whether I'm talking to clients or whether I'm talking to, to folks on this show. What were the criteria in the beginning when the management team first started the process? And were you working with an investment banker or a broker we or were, were you managing we- it sales? Okay. No, we, we had a broker. We, we hired a broker. And for us, we had a strong culture within our organization. We wanted to work with a partner that was part of that culture. Uh, the other piece, too, was we knew our strengths and we knew our weaknesses. And we were really looking for a partner that could help us build up our weaknesses, right? And So I think there's a piece of this where you have to be open and honest with yourself and really evaluating your team, your company, and to try to find what are the resources that we need to be able to take this to the next level. And, And so that second private equity firm had the size and scale and infrastructure to be able to, to help us do just that. Think back to the diligence. I know it was probably painful at the time. It can be a lot of questions back and forth. What stands out in your memory about the diligence process that were really, let's call it hot buttons for them, where they really wanted to dig in and spend a lot of time? A lot on the accounting side, quite honestly, right? Understanding everything from revenue recognition to just all of the the basics that that we had in place and so 
the more that you can go into this process with your eyes dotted, your T's crossed, right? You have your act together um, because it's really the first several weeks of the diligence process that's going to set the stage and what they find, right? If they go in and everything that they find is buttoned up, um, the process goes a lot smoother. If, if you go in and the first couple of things they look at, there's, there's um, errors or um, numbers changing or um, they felt like they don't have the entire picture that they thought they had at the time of making that initial offer, um, things are gonna get difficult in the diligence process. Yeah, absolutely. So having the financials in really good shape is is critical. And oftentimes that companies can start there, even if they have QuickBooks. I'm sure right. you see this with your clients, just to be consistent, stay organized, and to really be able to show the story in which you did. So if you look back, what were you think are some of the key lessons that you learned through that process that you might suggest to a founder or an owner who's listening and thinking, oh, one day I might want to have an exit, a successful exit, depending on who we sell it to and when and all of those factors. What do you think are the biggest lessons learned? So for me, it's to think well beyond the investment period. So if you're selling to, let's say, private equity, right, the common thought is private equity is going to hold the company for about five years. Well, if that's the case, then you have to have a really good idea of where this company needs to be 10 years from now, right? Because you're not selling for this exit, you're selling for the next exit, right? So the private equity company or whoever that acquirer is has to understand how they're gonna drive value over the next five plus years and what their potential exit's gonna be, right? This is, um, you know, a, a way for them to um, be more reassured that their uh, investment's going to pay off and they have commitments that they've made to their investors, <laughs> right, for the type of return that they're going to get. And so you have to be able to paint that picture very clearly. And so uh, being able to have a 10-year target, to be able to understand, okay, where do we need to be in uh, one year, three years, to be able to have any shot at hitting that 10-year target. Um, what does that look like? What are we executing on today that's going to get us there? All of those threads have to be woven um, into a tapestry that's going to make sense. And I think that a lot of founders get so embedded in their business that it makes sense to them, but when they go to tell the story, it doesn't make sense to others. And so you have to be able to simplify it. You have to be able to boil it down to what are the most important things. Um, if everything's important, nothing's important. So what are the three things that we're gonna drive to move this organization forward? Um, what's, I'm an avid reader, and one of the books I love right now is The Ride of a Lifetime, the Disney story, right? And Disney was able to build a strategic plan focused on three things, right? And this is Disney movies, <laughs> cruise ships, theme parks, right? All of the things, they had three things in their strategic plan. And so if Disney can do it, we sure can do it. And so to be able to, to be able to build that story, to be able to build that plan, and then to be able to show proven execution on that plan. 
Um, you know, I'm now working in EOS and EOS, we say all the time, vision without traction is hallucination, right? So we can paint a great story, but we have to show how we have the execution muscle that we are going to hit this, that we're, we're just not, um, you know, lost in fantasy land. And so those are the things that I, I think that a lot of um, entrepreneurs kind of get tied up in, right? And kind of get off track. Uh, you know, it's the, the basics of the financials. It's the basic of the monetization, especially software companies. Prove how you're going to monetize this thing. You can have the coolest software in the world if you can't monetize it. Uh, it's not investable. And then from there, um, what's that plan? How are you going to execute and um, to paint that picture? I love that. I think that's a great explanation and such an interesting example, too, with with Disney Company and, and everything that they did to really focus in. Let's go on this path that you've opened the door here to EOS. If, if listeners are wondering, what is EOS? What are we talking about here? It's a great methodology. It's helped a lot of companies. Were you using EOS in your prior as the COO or CEO? Yeah, so I brought EOS in uh, when I became CEO. I tell people that as we were growing the company, we had tremendous growth. We were quite successful. There were times that it felt like the entire organization started to shake, like turbulence on an airplane. And I would grab my bubble gum, uh, duct tape, rubber bands, get my leadership team together, and we'd try to figure this out. And we would ultimately always be able to resolve the, the turbulence. We'd start growing again. But the next time uh, the turbulence hit, it would be even more violent. And it, so it was in one of those cycles that I thought to myself, there's got to be something I'm missing. There's got to be something that I should be doing that I'm not. And that led me to calling friends that were CEOs and just picking their brains. And one of them handed me the book Traction by Gina Wickman, told me that he had started implementing EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, and for me to check it out. So I read the book twice within two days, front to back, um, ultimately hired an EOS implementer and implemented it. And Ultimately, uh, I tell people I came to three major discoveries in my life. My first discovery was through EOS, I was able to make every department healthier. And ultimately, I was able to build a team that could thrive without me. Um, my second discovery was I had gotten to the point in my career, I had had multiple successful exits, I, I had done well my own personal success became absolutely meaningless to me. I, I, it, it wasn't what got me out of bed. It wasn't what drove me. It wasn't what gave me my energy. I, I just, I didn't care, quite honestly. What got me energy, what, what made me uh, wanna get up and, and tackle the world every day was trying to figure out how can I make as many people around me successful as, as I possibly can. And my third aha was the fact that I discovered I really am much more of an entrepreneur. Being uh, in a publicly traded company wasn't the right fit for me. And so it was those three ahas that ultimately led me to retiring from, from that company and, and doing this. And so now I work with entrepreneurs, their leadership teams, to focus on three main things that we call vision, traction, healthy. One vision 
uh, being able to get the entire organization aligned on where you're going, how you're going to get there, why it's important, right? That that 10-year target, building out that, that execution plan. As Patrick Lencioni says, if you can get all the people in the same boat pointed in the right direction, rowing together in unison, you can win in any market against any competition at any time. And so that's the vision piece. Traction is then building that execution muscle across the organization. So every single day, 100% of the people in the company are executing against that vision, turning it into a reality. Um, you know, as I said, vision without traction is hallucination. And then third, the healthy working with the leadership teams to be more open, honest, transparent, accountable, collaborative, because oftentimes leadership teams aren't those things. And what we see is as the leadership team goes, so does the rest of the company. And so by working on vision, traction, healthy, I can help my clients be able to build organizations that can thrive without them. And ultimately that's what drives value in a company. Your, your buyer needs to be able to see how this thing's going to keep going without the founder. Um, get the right people in the right seats, the right execution, um, and that proven track record. All of those things drive tremendous value for exits and sets the, the companies up in a position where they can um, sell, they can attract multiple buyers, and they can ultimately get to a great exit. I love it. You're singing off the same song sheet that we talk about on this show so often, which is to really not only have the people in place, but the systems, the processes, but be able to execute on that growth potential, show the growth potential, show the story and create a business that can thrive without you. I love how you phrase that. And it does tee up the potential relationship for folks like me, right? If there's an owner who has a business that's sell ready when he or she is ready to sell to quote my friend david weibel who's been on this show that's where someone like myself can really help take it to the next level with exit planning and and beyond if there's going to be an exit or a transaction so thanks so much for that explanation i'd love to have you share another quote you shared a favorite book you've shared some other resources here but is there a favorite quote that you have that inspires you as a leader yeah i think that so much of what has led to my success in my life has been discipline. And I think so much of what helps um, drive the success of EOS run companies is we are forcing that discipline within their organization. And so my favorite quote is one from Aristotle, who says, we are what we repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence is not uh, an act, but a habit. Right. So you have to just be excellent every single day. You have to drive that discipline, drive that accountability, drive those practices within um, yourself and within your organization. And if you do those things, you can't help but achieve excellence. That's a great quote. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks so much for being on the show, sharing your experience about growing a business, having a successful exit, and now how you work with companies to create amazing companies. So thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a privilege and an honor. I loved being a part of it. And thank you. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? So my email is tim.tannert, T-A-N-N-E-R-T at eosworldwide.com. Awesome. Thank you. 
Listeners, thank you so much for your support. Catch Succession Stories on your favorite podcast player or YouTube and subscribe to the show. If you want to maximize the value of your business and plan for future transition, reach out to me for a complimentary assessment at meetlauriebarkman.com. Join me next time for more insights from transition to transaction. Until then, here's to your success. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, that's a great place to start. The sooner you understand what creates value and what detracts from it, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Hundreds of business owners have taken my complimentary business assessment. As a first step, schedule a call with me by visiting meetlauriebarkman.com. That's meetlauriebarkman.com. Dot com.